We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast that explores how pop culture influences our understanding of Judaism and how our Jewish values and tradition influences our appreciation of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And on today's episode of Pop Torah, we are talking about Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Get over here. The reboots uh, based on the video game, which uh, is streaming now for a couple more weeks on HBO Max, uh, also available in theaters put out by Warner Brothers. Uh, Mike, I'm putting it out there. It's a movie that is a reboot of a movie based on a video game. I don't know how much plot there actually is that exists, but what can you tell us about what the movie's about? Right. If you're looking for plot, this movie is probably not for you. Uh, but uh, uh, in basic strokes, uh, Mortal if you're Kombat looking for is... blood, <laughs> there's plenty. Yes. So uh, in, uh, in, in, in basic terms, Mortal Kombat is uh, the misspelled name of a legendary martial arts uh, tournament uh, that is held in uh, Outworld, a realm called Outworld. Uh, and uh, apparently, according to uh, this movie, uh, determines the fate of any realm uh, that is involved in the competition, including the Earth realm. Uh, so the movie follows a new character in the Mortal Kombat verse called Cole Young, who's an MMA fighter. By the way, the most entertaining character out of all of them for me in the movie, because he's not based on a video game fighter. And, and I think well acted. I think he actually was, was a compelling character. We can get into whether or not they needed a new character. In the 1995 version of the movie, um, Liu Kang uh, really played that uh, role in the movie of this sort of like normal person um, through which you get inserted into this kind of crazy world of Mortal Kombat. But anyway, the movie follows Cole Young. We learn in the prologue of the movie that he is a uh, rescued baby of uh, the uh, of a, a fearsome ninja uh, who is killed by a uh, warrior named Sub-Zero, uh, who's called Sub-Zero, another ninja called Sub-Zero, uh, who has a power of uh, turning everything, things, people into ice and destroying them that way. Uh, Cole Young is rescued by a figure named Lord Raiden who uh, can make it thunder and lightning. He's sort of like the Thor of the Mortal Kombat-iverse. Uh, Raiden saves Cole Young. Cole Young grows up unaware of his progeny. It's a classic uh, Joseph Campbell uh, uh, hero's journey. Unaware of his progeny, becomes an MMA fighter. Uh, a, a sort of middling MMA fighter, uh, but he uh, uh, gets randomly attacked by Sub-Zero, uh, who is trying to wipe out all of the bloodline of, uh, the, uh, of the ninja who becomes Scorpion. 
Uh, and so Cole Young gets inserted into the world of Mortal Kombat uh, because he confronts Sub-Zero. He is rescued by a, a former soldier who is involved in the Mortal Kombat uh, situation named Jax. Uh, Jax confronts Sub-Zero and is uh, uh, nearly mortally wounded by Sub-Zero. Uh, Cole Young then uh, realizes that his family is at risk unless he uh, goes into and uh, and participates in this tournament, Mortal Kombat. Um, he meets along the way other fighters, Sonya Blade, uh, a rogue mercenary named Kano. They find their way to uh, a, a training temple uh, for the Earth Realm of people who are involved in Mortal Kombat, uh, uh, featuring fighters like Liu Kang and Kung Lao, uh, and uh, of course Lord Raiden. Uh, and uh, and uh, bloodiness ensues uh, as the uh, villains from Outworld uh, try to hunt down and kill uh, all of the Earthrealm fighters. The Earthrealm fighters then find a way to hunt down and kill all of the Outworld fighters, uh, including the uh, fearsome monster Prince Goro and uh, the uh, ultimate villain uh, Shang Tsung, who can take your soul uh, and does during the course of the movie. There's a lot going on here, Jesse. Um, so let me ask you, in your opinion, Mortal Kombat, uh, flawless victory or fatality? <laughs> flawless victory. Um, I can confidently say it's the worst movie I've seen so far this year. Uh, and you and I have seen a lot of movies for this podcast. Uh, I liked Godzilla vs. Kong better, and that really had no plot except for a giant gorilla fighting a giant lizard. Uh, for what it's worth, Rotten Tomatoes gives a better critic score to Zack Snyder's Justice League, which we really panned on a recent episode, than it does to Mortal Kombat. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is the fault of the movie. I have yet, I'm really trying to think back. I've yet to see a great movie that is based on a video game. And, and this also isn't like a, a, a RPG, right? This isn't a role-playing game. This is a game that is a versus fighting game. And they created this whole story uh, about a game that was really meant for, you know, Super Nintendo back in the mid nineties uh, by Midway Games, the second best uh, game I would say Midway Games came out with after NFL Blitz, but uh, that it was really just based on fighting each other and blood. Uh, Warner Brothers threw in lots of blood. CGI uh, wasn't great uh, and lots of F-bombs and the came up with a movie. I mean, it's a bigger question for me about the philosophy and thinking behind Warner Brothers saying, hey, let's reboot Mortal Kombat. That'll be a, a, a big at the box office. Um, I wonder if this movie would have been more entertaining. People would be seeing it because it's a stupid popcorn movie. Uh, if theaters were more open, people would be going. Uh, but certainly watching it in my living room on HBO Max, uh, I, I had to hate watch it. You know, half an hour in, I was watching it for the sake of research for this podcast at that point. Right. You and I have talked about this, Jesse. You are absolutely 100% wrong about this movie. It is a flawless victory. Uh, it has 
everything that you would want in a Mortal Kombat movie. And you are absolutely right. It is a movie about a video game uh, that is uh, that that is centered on uh, people fighting each other. And so, you know, arguably what you want in a movie based on that is a lot of people fighting each other, uh, like the video game with as much uh, gore and ultraviolence as possible. This movie has gore and it has Goro. It has everything that you would want in a Mortal Kombat movie. Um, I loved the original movie. The original movie came out right at the right time for me. I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. Uh, I was playing Mortal Kombat with all my friends. I remember birthday, you know, sleepover birthday parties where we would stay up all night well, that's Mortal the other Kombat. thing. Do people still play Mortal Kombat? Is there like a Mortal Kombat on PlayStation 5 that people yeah, play? Yeah, I have no idea. I, I My uh, my video game playing was sort of arrested at uh, Super Nintendo. So <laughs> I don't know. I think I had a GameCube once. Um, so I don't know if there's still Mortal Kombat. Uh, you can uh, email us and let us know if you're still playing Mortal Kombat today on, on uh, new platforms. Um, I was playing it, you know, in arcades too. The mythology was always there. The storyline was actually always there. That there was this tournament with people from Earth Realm and people from Out Realm, and they were fighting each other. There were villains, and there were and there were, uh, I guess, heroes. Right. Um, you could. What was great about the game is that you could be the villains and you could be the heroes, and it didn't really matter because it was just a matter of, you know, um, who you were going to smash up against each other. Um, I personally love playing Scorpion because, you know, his. Get I love over Scorpion. Here. Get over here. Yeah. His harpoon move uh, was easy to learn, uh, and uh, and you know, and, and, and Kung uh, um, Liu Kang also his fireballs were easy to do. His his uh, bicycle kick thing, uh, which he does in the movie. So that was I loved it in the movie. Uh, the movie did you know had had all of the great special moves, had all of the great finishing moves. Um, it was just it was just a rompous delight from start to finish. I was hooked in, in that early scene, the prologue scene, uh, where, uh, where the, the warrior who, be, who becomes Scorpion later, you know, is the origin story of Scorpion. I thought it was great. Um, I thought- You can't the, tell if you're being facetious or not. No, no, no. I'm being totally serious. I thought that the martial arts were, were well done. The special, I, I, the CGI wasn't great, but the, the martial arts uh, were, were well, 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 excuse me, the fights were well choreographed. Um, well shot. It was stupid. I mean, there's no question about that, right? Um, you know, it, I was watching it with with Adira, and, and uh, there's one time where Shang Tsung talks about how you know if um, if Earth Realm loses another uh, like their tenth straight Mortal Kombat tournament, that Out Realm gets to uh, take over Earth Realm. I'm like, what is this? Like, get a free sandwich after you've gotten your card stamped nine times like why is that a rule i don't know it doesn't matter the point is to get these characters together to smash them together get them fighting with a lot of blood and gore um that's what the 1995 96 moral combat was all about too and i and maybe i liked it. it more because it was 12 year old me right? right i know and in fairness like i never would have been able to see this movie um, back then, because my mom wouldn't have let me see a rated R Mortal Kombat. I'm not sure how I convinced her to let me see the PG-13 one, um, but never would have let me see this. Um, I thought before I watched it, I was like, maybe I'll let my kids watch it with me. <laughs> and, then, um, and then very quickly, I realized that that was 
absolutely not going to happen. Yeah, this is not the PG-13 MCU. This is is the the Snyderverse with Batman uh, throwing down F-bombs. Right, but at least in fairness to this, right, and this is why I would disagree with the critics who, you know, appreciated Zack Snyder's Justice League more. Like, this movie understood its characters perfectly, right? I mean, you know, uh, uh, what are their motivations? Why are they fighting? You know, uh, I think it really did a good job. And there's so many characters, you know, I mean, it's sort of Marvel-esque in their ability to introduce and make you care about characters, um, uh, you know, a dozen different characters that they have to, you know, give enough backstory to that you understand who they are or what they're doing. Um, I, I actually you know, thought that they did a pretty good job of that. Again, it's stupid. You know, you can't go in thinking that you're gonna watch Citizen Kane. Um, the, you know, the dialogue is not the point, right? The point is, you know, uh, Kano uh, uh, ripping out the heart of Reptile um, and saying, Kano wins. Why does he say that? I don't know, because they say it in the video game. Um, so this is just, you know, uh, uh, a, a sort of a mashup of a fight. Uh, and I think what I, I didn't watch uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, but I hear unlike Kong versus Godzilla, where you have to wait like through, I don't know, an hour and a half of exposition before Kong and Godzilla actually fight one another. Now they um, fight at the beginning. There's just too much dialogue in the movie as a whole. Right. And so in this case, like you get moral combat from the very first scene. That's that's absolutely true. I, I you know, I wonder, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Mike. Um, I asked at the beginning, what was Warner Brothers thinking about rebooting this? Do they think that people would show up, especially if it's not a popular video game right now? Um, right. It, it, I, I don't know what are popular video games like. Are they going to come out with a Call of Duty movie, a Grand Theft Auto movie? Um, this certainly is not a popular video game. So it begs the question, what do they have in mind when they were thinking of rebooting a popular franchise that... Um, was last popular 25 years ago? Was it trying to connect to this nostalgia element that we've talked a little bit about before? Was it trying to connect to us who liked it when we were in middle school 25 years ago? Or are by rebooting it, are they trying to do it better a generation later? Maybe both, right? Um, so I, you know, I think that there, there probably was a sense that um, that there that there's you know an interesting story to tell here, um, or at least a you know a fun story to tell here, uh, with you know an, enough characters and enough mythology um, that you could sort of dig deep and you know create a new MCU uh, Mortal Kombat verse uh, out of this you know and um, uh, that you could have you know kind of an interconnected. Uh, series of movies or at least sequels from it. You know, I mean, what is, what is Warner Brothers doing with this? They're they're mining their intellectual property for more profits. I mean, that's you know, I mean, it's a cash grab. That's fine. I'm 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 not you know opposed necessarily to a cash grab. Um, it, you know, if it's if if it's fun, you know, if there's if it gives me a reason to spend my money. Um, and I do think that it is you know, I mean, that's part part of why I saw it. I don't think that I would have watched. I'm not like super into uh, martial arts movies for the sake of martial arts. 
Um, so for me, what was compelling about it to me was the nostalgia. Um, you know, I loved Mortal Kombat as a kid, loved the movie, um, and seeing a sort of more adult version of Mortal Kombat was exciting to me, right? So I, I so I do think that that um, you know nostalgia um, was the big hook in this, right? I think it's a cash grab and the way to mine the audience, uh, you know, for for maximum profit is to give them something that they already know and love. Um, now, I, again, like I don't think that that's unique to Warner Brothers, and we can talk about whether they're you know doing it uniquely poorly. Uh, but you know, Disney does the same thing. You know, why are they making more Star Wars movies? Is it really that they have more stories to tell, um, or is it that you know there's an existing fan base? And why are they making the kind of Star Wars movies that they're that they're making, right? Um, you know, is it that they're more interesting stories to tell, um, or is it that you know there's a there's there's a fan base that needs servicing? And you can make money by servicing that fan base. Well, well, it's interesting. I I don't know if you could <laughs> compare the Mortal Kombat fan base and the Star Wars fan base. Right. No, um, I agree with that. But as a as as a member of that Star Wars fan base, I would I would certainly agree with that. Most Star Wars fans will tell you that the prequel trilogy sucked, the sequel trilogy sucked, but they love the Mandalorian. Right, that right. that they would say that the Mandalorian is the best thing to happen since the original trilogy, arguably better than Return of the Jedi, uh, and part of it is expanding on the universe, uh, and so that I'm I'm all for the whole idea of the reboot in general. I was actually hoping that all right, you came up with this basic storyline for an arcade game to justify why these monsters are fighting these. Uh, the, these um, martial art specialists who are fighting these guys that can shoot lasers out of their eyes, who can shoot fireballs, right? You come up with a story. I, I don't think anybody would freak out if and call Warner Brothers out for not sticking to Mortal Kombat canon <laughs> if they shifted the story to make it more plausible. You know, I know that I am a, an MCU stan, right? That that I think Marvel is flawless. I would go to bat with for every Marvel uh, cinematic universe film, but one of the things that they do well is they don't hesitate to say, all right, this is a storyline from a comic book from 30, 40, 20 years ago. We're going to shift it to make it more applicable to the big screen and to storytelling in the form of a movie, or even now with Disney plus in the form of a TV show. Maybe that's what Cole Young's character was supposed to be introducing this MMA fighter, that sort of thing. But I don't think Mortal Kombat did that enough or really at all. Yeah, maybe. I mean, listen, I, you know, I think that uh, I, I would disagree with your take on the Mandalorian and why people like it. Uh, I think that, you know, part of the reason that it's so beloved by, uh, by, by Star Wars fandom um, is not so much that it's telling new stories or exploring new terrain in um, in the existing canon, um, it's that it is you know hitting beats and referencing characters um, that are already you know very well explored, right? So you know I think that one of the reasons why people hate and there's people, Baby Yoda, right? So you know and why and aside from the fact that Baby Yoda is very cute, right? I think that you know existing Star Wars fandom is hooked into it uh, because you know, there's a mythology around Yoda and the Jedi that we 
you know, appreciate from the original movies that is now being uh, um, expanded on and explored in, in that way. The prequels, I think one of the reasons that people didn't like them is that they didn't do enough of that, right? They, um, they you know, George Lucas, you know, say what you will about the guy, but I think that he was trying to um, explore new territory, new styles, um, you know, uh, new themes, all sorts of different things with the prequels and and you know the existing Star Wars and, and maybe even to build a new fan base for Star Wars, um, which you know he was arguably not successful in in any of those things. Um, but you know it's very different than like the you know the J.J. Uh, Abrams take on um, on on Episode Seven and Nine, which were very fan servicey, right? Um, so and and people might argue that episode nine to a to a to an extreme fault was fan surfacy. Um, so you know I think that that's what Warner Brothers has in mind here is to say you know what what the fans of this there, there is a fan base of this game the fan base you know still exists it's still in the zeitgeist people still talk about it I guess I don't know um, and what that fan base wants right they're me they saw the original Mortal Kombat when they were thirteen. Um, and they loved it. And now what they want, because they can see R-rated movies now, is the same thing, but with a lot more gore and uh, curse words. All right, Mike. So then if I could ask you, we're, this is, this is a, a, not just a pop culture podcast, right? With two rabbis talking about Judaism and Jewish values as well. Two rabbis ordained by the conservative movement, a movement that uh, balances tradition and... Uh, the evolution of society and, and how uh, constantly uh, evolving ideas influences our religious practice and vice versa. Um, what does reboot mean in the context of Judaism, Jewish practice, Jewish tradition? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, right? You know, I think that, um, uh, you know, for, for those of us who are in the conservative movement, right, where our predisposition is to conserve tradition, you know, I think a reboot um, would mean taking the existing forms of Judaism, the existing traditions of Judaism, the existing rituals of, of Judaism, um, you know, adapting them uh, for, you know, with, with the best of contemporary insights and, and modern sensibilities, um, but, but trying to hold on to um, what people love and appreciate about Jewish tradition, right, which is different than maybe, you know, a reconstructionist uh, kind of take on it, right, a reconstructionist was sort of like break down the story, moral combat story to its component parts, right, and then, and then build it back together in a totally new way, right, um, you know, maybe kind of like the uh, what Marvel does with with its comics, right? Like, so break it down to its component characters and parts, and, and build it together in a new way, right? Um, and and a reform take uh, of a reboot would be, you know, like a total retcon, <laughs> I guess. I don't know, um, I, but I think about it uh, because you know clearly we're in a time where um, where for for a large segment of the of the Jewish community. Um, the the you know the 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 tradition as it's been uh, received the tradition as it's been kind of you know passed down from our parents generation really our grandparents generation um, is um, is no longer capturing the hearts and 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 minds of of Jews today you know this is a not just a Jewish problem it's a it's a, a you know an endemic religion problem um, the you know institutional religions 
are not uh, capturing the minds and intentions of people today. And what people are doing- Millennials are more spiritual than ever before, but more skeptical of institutional religion. Institutional religion. So what people are doing is remixing, right? They're, uh, they're, they're, they're taking elements of, you know, uh, of, of this tradition, that tradition, um, that ideology, this ideology, and, and mixing it together in something that, that works for them. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, for me, uh, so I think that there's a, there's a question of, you know, rebooting that is, okay, you know, are we just going to, there, there are people who are already hooked into what this is, and we're just going to keep on, you know, like pumping that well, right? We're going to keep on giving the people, the existing stakeholders exactly what they want um, because they're paying the bills of the institutions, right? Or are we going to make something new out of the old that might be able to um, uh, capture the imagination of a new generation of people that is relating to spirituality and religion in a totally different way. It's a riskier proposition. So I get why Warner Brothers did exactly what they did. I get why J.J. Abrams did exactly what he did with episode nine of Star Wars. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but arguably it's a losing proposition because eventually that fan base is going to, you know, die out, right? And then you have no um no no new blood no new um uh attention uh participation uh um loyalty interest in uh in in the religion that matters to you i don't know what do you think you know what does reboot mean in judaism um it's a good question interestingly Right. Reboot is a name of a Jewish organization. Right. Um, right. The organization uh, Reboot um, is an organization of uh, it's a nonprofit that helps those in the arts and culture worlds reimagine and reinforce Jewish traditions and uh, Jewish thought. It's, it's really uh, a Jewish nonprofit for R&D uh, and right. Reboot. It, it's not about doing things the same. That's where I think from a movie perspective, reboots fail when it's just like, we're going to make the same movie that came out 30 years ago and you're going to watch it. But if you take the same idea and you change it a bit, then does it become more exciting? Does it become more meaningful to a new generation's audience? And then the most successful reboots, I think the initial reboot is somewhat similar. And then it goes off and has sequels that are different and unique to that new rebooted universe it created. Um, reboot for Judaism, I think it's finding ways to... in. 2021, be it in South Orange, New Jersey or Richmond, Virginia, or wherever our listeners are from to find value in the same traditions that have been the traditions of our people for 5,000 plus years. And it's understanding, this is why I'm a conservative Jew, right? It's understanding that the way we do that in 2021 isn't the same way we did it in 17th century Poland. Isn't the way we did it, you know, 2000 years ago when we were exiled from Jerusalem. Can't be the way we do it even 10 years ago in this country, that 
the world is constantly evolving and for Judaism and Jewish ritual to have purpose, right? It needs to find this intertwining relationship between society to make sense. I mean, that's why we do this podcast, right? Because we think that pop culture has something to teach us about how Judaism makes sense. Right. Um, and it can offer this lens into what we watch and view with regards to pop culture. And so if pop culture is telling us that the way movies are viewed and consumed and their content is different than it was a generation ago, then I think that's a lens to how Judaism and Jewish practice evolves as, as well. If all movies are going to be are going to be what Warner Brothers is doing and they're going to offer the same exact thing that they offered 25 years ago just arguably worse, but, but with more F-bombs, then it's what is a reboot except for a copycat. I don't think in Judaism, people, especially millennials who are searching for meaning, aren't looking for copycats. They're looking for something that is genuine. They're looking for something that is unique. They're not looking for their parents' Jewish experience or their grandparents' Jewish experience. So much so that arguably their parents and grandparents joined institutionalized religion, right? Joined synagogues or JCCs because they felt a sense of obligation. They paid dues even if they didn't show up. People aren't doing that anymore, nor should people, right? They join if they find meaning in it. And a rebooted Judaism and Jewish experience puts that meaning at the core, not just a um, photocopy of what once was. Right. The challenge, of course, is that, you know, the uh, the existing stakeholders of, you know, many, if not most Jewish institutions and other religious institutions are the people who are, you know, already well served by things as they are. Right. And so it, it's it's hard and and uh, and in some cases, you know, very risky proposition, you know, to say, you know, um, we're going to we're going to do something different here. Uh, because, you know, it, it risks alienating the existing stakeholders. So, you know, so that's, that's a, you know, particular challenge of religious leadership in this moment, institutional religious leadership in this moment, right, is, you know, how do you simultaneously uh, serve the needs of those existing stakeholders who like things, you know, who, who are, you know, part of the institution because they like things just the way they are or were or have been, right, and recognize that if you only uh, meet the needs of those people. Um, you are not going to. Uh, you're not going to endure, uh, it, and it's a really complicated problem. Uh, and so, some people make a decision: is like, I, all I'm going to do is like, I know what my existing stakeholders want. I'm going to keep on giving them what they want. Uh, and if that means that we're, you know, um, going to be irrelevant in a generation, then that's what it's going to mean, right? And other people go the other direction and say. You know, um, we have a, a new generation of, of hearts and minds, uh, you know, who, who are searching for meaning and purpose. Um, and we have an opportunity to, to uh, show them how uh, our, how Jewish tradition um, can meet those needs. Um, but it's going to mean um, not giving the existing stakeholders what they want anymore. Um, and so some people are, you know, uh, successful uh, either in just saying, you know, I got to focus on the people who are not yet in the building, or they're arguably even more successful if they're able to bring along enough of those existing stakeholders who, who are invested in saying, like, um, I care enough about the um, 
the perpetuation of this institution and of this tradition, then I'm willing to sacrifice my own fan service. Um, I think that's why Jewish startups are able to take risks that established synagogues are not because they don't have those, you know, stakeholders that have been there for a long time, the Bale Bale, right? Uh, they, right, they, they, they don't have um, those whose names are on the walls of the institutions and have given uh, blood, sweat, and tears and dollars to help sustain that institution. I'm not convinced that there are as many people as you would suggest within our institutions that are content with the way things are. Uh, I think they, I think sometimes people are just scared of change, right? I'm not convinced that most people would prefer to watch a movie from 25 years ago. They would, right? I've shown my kids movies and like some of the greatest 80s films I can remember. And in their mind, it's, wow, why are they using a puppet for an alien, right? Mm. Why is the picture so small on our widescreen TV <laughs> that, that they're looking for something new to catch their interest in this moment. And I don't believe that somebody who uses a tablet or phone as their primary computer, which most Americans do, are content with um, film and entertainment from a generation ago. We want something new. And, and I think the same is true for Judaism and Jewish community that, uh, there's a difference between what we are comfortable with because what we are used to and what we're comfortable with because that's what our heart yearns for. Yeah. No, it's, I, I think you're, I think you're right. You know, and I think that there's, um, I think you might've hit on, you know, why Warner brothers, you know, feels necessary to remake Mortal Kombat like this, right. Is that, you know, their premise is that there's a fan base uh, that, you know, that will pay good money to see this movie, um, you know, that loves Mortal Kombat, that was, you know, happy with the original, has good memories of the original, but has, you know, sort of like updated sensibilities, more modern sensibilities. So we need it to be faster. We need the cuts to be quicker. We need it to, you know, look HD. Um, we need it to have CGI uh, and we need to have more, more, you know, blood and violence and, uh, and, and language, which are, you know, more in keeping with the way contemporary movies are, right? Even, even the Marvel movies, um, which are PG-13, have way more blood and uh, adult language and themes than, you know, superhero movies of a generation past, right? Like you look at the, you know, Batman movies of the, of the late 80s and, and 90s, right? And um, they don't have uh, you know, they're, they're PG language. They were right? much more comic booky, Right. No, no blood. I mean, I don't know if they'd say they're more comic booky because comic books had blood and gore and language and adult themes too. Um, but the sensibility of the movies in that time was much more, I don't know, puritanical still. Um, and so, and so, you know, so you have people who, you know, so I, I what I see, it, you know, on the ground is that, you know, it's not that the existing stakeholders exact, want things exactly as they used to be. They want things uh, updated, like just enough for the times that it feels somewhat fresh, 
but still is basically the same as what they remember. And, you know, so maybe part of the issue is that we fail often with our children, right? So that if we introduce them to a pediatric form of Judaism, the rebooted Judaism that they're searching for as millennials, as young adults, um, as 20 or 30 somethings, if it's that same pediatric Judaism that caused them to hate Hebrew school or, or say, you know, the minute I become a bat mitzvah, I'm never coming to the synagogue, which is, by the way, a failure on us as rabbis, a failure on the American Jewish community, then obviously that's not something that they're going to connect to. They're looking for something that is fresh, something that introduces them to Judaism and a way of seeing Judaism that is different than they've ever been exposed to before. Right. Um, can, I, can I switch gears a little bit? I want to talk about something that's actually uh, present in the movie that, that uh, struck a Jewish chord in me. Uh, so the premise- I guess, I guess we have to talk about the movie more. So the premise of the, of the, of the movie is that um, uh, you can tap into something deep down within you if you were one of these Mortal Kombat fighters. Uh, and uh, that gives you some kind of superhuman ability, right? So Liu Kang can shoot fireballs. Uh, Kano uh, has a uh, razor sharp sombrero. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so part of the story is, you know, uh, uh, Cole finding his, they call it Arcana, right? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the unique power within you um, that, uh, that you could draw out in order to, you know, fight and, and win at Mortal Kombat? Um, and it, I don't know, it, it struck me as a, a somewhat Jewish idea that like each of us has our own unique gifts uh, and abilities, right? That God created each of us as, as unique individuals. You know, there's a Mishnah that says that, you know, what, what testifies to God's glory is human diversity uh, because a flesh and blood king uh, makes a, a, mints a coin using one mold and all the coins are the same, but God, Mince a, mince a coin, right? Made human beings with one mold being the first human being, but yet no two human beings are alike. And that shows how great God is. Right. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's this teaching that I encountered from uh, uh, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, uh, one of the founders of, of uh, uh, contemporary American orthodoxy. Um, and he says that, uh, he says this, this was taught to me by Rabbi Yitz Greenberg. Um, the fact that someone lives in a certain time, in a special period, and in a defined place, and was not born in another period, and in other circumstances, can be understood only if we accept the very idea of a person's mission. Providence knows where and how the individual, for all his shortcomings, and the spiritual power stored in him, can fulfill his mission, under what circumstances and conditions, and in, in what society it will be in the power of man to fulfill his mission. The creator of the world acts in accordance with the halakha, which states that it is not possible to appoint a messenger to perform a function which is beyond the ability of the messenger. That is considered a mission which cannot be fulfilled. Such an appointment is devoid of any value since if a person is appointed to fulfill a mission, it's only appropriate to give him the ability to act as the messenger. Therefore, the individual is created in a period and in a place where he could act in order to fulfill his mission. Uh, and then uh, Yitz Greenberg also brings in uh, Rabbi Avram Yitzchak Cohen Cook, the first uh, Ashkenazi chief rabbi uh, pre-state Israel, um, 
said uh, uh, that there was a, a that there's a, a prayer that we say many of us say each day, saying, "My God, before I was created." Um, uh, and he would interpret it this way. My God, before I was created, I was worthless, meaning in innumerable periods in which I did not live because I was not able to fulfill my mission, right? I, God put me in this time and place for a particular reason. Therefore, you waited to create me until the generation arrived in which I was capable of fulfilling my role as your agent. Unfortunately, now that I had been created, when the time of my creation has come, I was not wise enough to take advantage of the opportunity given to me, and I have not even partially fulfilled my mission. Therefore, it's as if I were not created, for I have not contributed anything. Uh, Rav Cook would say, I'm a complete failure, as if I were born in a time in which to which I did not belong, right? So the way we turn that around, the way we um, uh, make the most of our having been created is by recognizing, you know, uh, what our unique mission is, um, having been put on earth in this time and in this place to accomplish something concrete. I know that's probably not what Mortal Kombat was going for, but it did. Probably not. But it did bring that up in me. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. My only problem with that theology, which is really what it is, that God creates each of us with specific purpose, um, is it doesn't then give any um make any sense of theodicy but it doesn't make any sense to those who suffer doesn't make any sense to those who um die far too soon right that idea is one in which somebody has fulfilled their mission that they were put on this earth for uh, and thus uh, since they fulfill their mission, it's okay that somebody leaves this earth at a very young age. And I can't accept a God that would say a 10-year-old has fulfilled their purpose in this world, their time has come. A, a, an infant has fulfilled their purpose, their time has come. A 35-year-old father of two has fulfilled their purpose, their time has come. Or the flip side, then if somebody lives until they're 97, is it that they haven't fulfilled their purpose yet? They haven't had many, any meaning, and that's why they've lived in this world for so long. That's why that is deeply problematic for me. For me, I find the arcana as a bit different. Um, we believe that everyone was made with Salam Elohim and God's image. Reconstructionist Judaism has a bit of a different theology. They actually believe that God places a little bit of God's self within each person. And so we say, where is God? God is within each of us. Not just that we are made in God's image, but being B'Tselem Elohim actually may, means that we are each a bit of God and we are each a part of God. What is the arcana? I would argue that if we're really going to make this stretch and connect mortal combat to God is that the arcana is is the spark, the divine spark within each and every one of us. Uh, and so uh, when we, uh, right, uh, the Talmud asks, asks the same question of Noah. What does it mean that Noah walked with God? It means that when Noah acts in certain ways, the ways that we see God acting in Torah, 
the divine spark within Noah was realized. And so part of this is digging deep inside us to, I do believe that we are God's partners. I do believe that we are God's messengers. I do believe that it is our obligation to finish building this world that God set out uh, to build and never completed because this world is incomplete. It is not yet just, it is not yet peaceful. And that is our task. Uh, the arcana is that with the, I would argue, which is within each of us and inside each of us that allows us to be the best version of ourselves and realize our full potential in order to do that. Right. And so how do we uh, locate that divine spark? How do we identify it? How do we access it? How do we give expression to it um, is, I think, one of the purposes of Jewish life study and and living uh and uh and you know for those who are going back to a rebooting conversation for those who are seeking um meaning and purpose um to me that is the uh, that's what judaism uh tries to help each of us do it gives us a framework for accessing that spark and and uh, and giving voice and expression to it. Well, we'll wrap if it up. If you're looking there. for purpose and, and meaning, there's no better way than subscribing to our podcast. That's right. <laughs> Smash that subscribe button. Uh, well, we'll leave it there for right now. I say see Mortal Kombat if you haven't seen it. I think it was a flawless victory. Jesse disagrees, but there you have it. Two rabbis, multiple opinions. Until next time, I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone.